Okay, we're going to go to the Word, and the Holy Spirit is our teacher. I want you to always remember that. I also want you to remember the responsibility that we have. Um, it's this is so interesting to me that the Bible says that God framed these worlds through faith and words. Isn't that interesting? And that he speaks, and if you can read Genesis as it opens up, God speaks and things happen. Think of the power of God's spoken word that can literally generate a universe, a, a galaxy, a planet, a, a solar system, just by speaking. And then that, that word, Gabriel said uh, to, to Mary when she said, how can this be? And Gabriel said to her, said, no word from God will ever fail. So you think about those things, but get this. The Bible says that the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things other than God and the things of God can choke out the word and make it unfruitful. Isn't that crazy? God's word that can bang, create a solar system, you and I, because of the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things, it can choke out that word and make it unproductive in our lives. So we have responsibility to make sure that those three things are not choking out the word of God. And the Bible says that the person who hears the word of God, retains the word of God, puts in practice the word of God, they will have a harvest of righteousness, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. So think about that. As we, as we go to the word of God today, I want to think about our responsibility. Jesus was often saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And we know that the audience he was speaking to had physical ears. So he was, he was connecting, saying there's a spiritual dimension by where we must listen and pay attention if we're really going to learn. And then the Holy Spirit will help us we also have an adversary. The Bible says that when the word of God comes, immediately, this is just what Jesus taught, immediately Satan comes to snatch that word out of our heart. Why? Because he knows if that word takes root in you and produces something in you, it's going to be very detrimental to his kingdom. And so he wants to snag that word out of your heart before it even happens. And that happens to me and you and all of us. I, I, this is sad to say, but I remember one time, uh, a person wasn't at church the week before, and so they were at church that particular week, and they said, what did you preach on last week? And I went, uh, uh. And I said, that is so sad. If I spent all that time and energy to preach that, and I can't even think of it right now, then what's the hope of anybody else having thought of it? So we have to be careful that we keep that word in our hearts. So you might notice that, Quite frequently, I give you assignments, or, and they're not hard, but what they're part of and what's designed to do is keep that word activated in your mind. So you can start thinking, oh yeah, we, this week we were going to, and, and this week we were going to, and this week we're supposed to, and it helps keep that word in you. So I encourage you to be good students. We all kind of learn differently, but if you need a notepad, there's notepads out in the foyer, cute little ones with our logo on it and everything. You can get that or bring in paper or bring in your smart device. Take some notes. Do something that will help keep the word of God in your mind. So, Lord, we come before you right now thanking you for your word. Uh, we, we will say by the help of the Holy Spirit we will do our part. And so, 
Holy Spirit, lead us into truth. Jesus said you would do that. You would show us things to come even. And that you would bring the word to our remembrance, Holy Spirit. And that you were actually, Jesus said you were called alongside us to help us. And so we declare your help today in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to remind you of a couple things. First of all, that we Christians, if you're a believer here today, and I so encourage you, if you're not a believer here today, today's your day. I mean, don't let it, don't let it go by. God's a very now God. And he says, today's the day of salvation. Now's the appointed time. Because when we become believers, there's a whole host of benefits that come with that. And so I want to encourage you. We as believers have an advantage when it comes to growing and pursuing and moving forward in the things of God. We have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that when we become Christians, there's a deposit of the Holy Spirit that's put in us. And the Holy Spirit has all these wonderful attributes, all this wonderful power, and it's inside us as Christians. And in fact, if you, we don't have a verse for it today on the overhead, but if you want to jot down Galatians 5, in Galatians 5, you will learn about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit, there's two particular fruit. If, you, if you're setting goals and you want to grow and you want to progress, and that's what I want to talk about today, and you want to keep moving forward, then the Holy Spirit has two specific fruits that we will almost always think about when we think of reaching goals. One is self-discipline. Isn't it true that about any time you have a goal, you need some self-discipline, regardless of what it is? And the second thing, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, is faithfulness, also known as persistency or perseverance. And so those are two fruits of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit lives in us. His fruit is inside us. Fruit needs to be nurtured and developed. And we actually have inside us, as Christians, self-discipline and perseverance or faithfulness. So we have that advantage. We also have the advantage of the Word of God. We can speak the Word of God. What does the Word of God say about this situation? Maybe you're struggling with something, uh, you know, some kind of sin or weight like, like the Word talks about. And, and Second Peter tells us that God's divine power has given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. So you may say, I'm having a real hard time being godly. Hold it. No, I'm going to declare this. Lord, your word says, and you start speaking the word, the power of the word, and you just get that word implanted in you. Because you need to know the word is more true than all the lies the devil tells you. I mean, the devil tells you, you can't make it. It's not going to happen. You, you, you have sinned so much. There's so much regret you should have and shame and, and all that. No, the Bible says, the Bible says, you've got to get that rooted in you, that when we become believers, we are new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. And Hebrew says he's washed our bodies with pure water. And he's even cleansed us from a guilty conscience. Those are the things we need to get rooted in us, the word of God. So we have the power of faith, too. Faith can move mountains, the Bible says. Jesus said if you've got just a little bit of faith, it's amazing what you can do. And so we have faith. We have the word. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside. So moving forward should be an easier thing for Christians. Now, I want you to know that God's on your side. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it tells us this. It says, now unto him, this is God that's talking about, now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly, immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. Some translations say think. So God is able to do, King James says, started to quote it in that, he can do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask, think, or imagine. Now we're, we get that. I think as believers, we say, okay, I can see that. God's God. He's big. He's powerful. He can do beyond anything I can dream up. 
And then it goes on to say, according to his power, we're good with that. We understand that. He's almighty. He's all-powerful. He's the awesome God. It's the last six words that trouble us. It's the last six words we have a hard time getting our minds around. All this power that is at work where? Within us. The power of God is at work within us. So now, oh, so I got some responsibility in this. That we are to activate through prayer and faith and action the power of God that's been planted in our lives. But God is on your side. Think, I don't know if I can make it. Yes, you can. God is on your side. You can make it because his power is at work within you. And so we want to release that power again through prayer, through confession, through our actions, through how we live, through our lifestyle, all of those things. So that's a super advantage we have in progressing and growing in the things of God. The second thing is we feel that Jesus is the essential, the essential factor in us having a blessed life that's moving forward in progress and moving forward in growth. You cannot skip Jesus. People try it all the time. Hey, you know, I want to have a blessed life. I kind of like some of the stuff I hear about God and the Bible, but I'm not going to do the Jesus thing, so I'm going to do it my own way. It won't work. It just won't work. You say, well, I know somebody that, you know, they've got all kinds of things and they don't love God. Okay, there's a whole lot more to life than just having things. Life does not consist in the abundance of the things that we possess. That's what the scripture says. And we have to learn that there's a whole lot more to life. And also, we have to learn that sometimes the Bible says riches can fly away. It can sprout wings and fly away. So we don't look at somebody's things and say, wow, they're blessed. I learned a lesson early on. I was with a brother of mine in the Lord. Up pulled a brother in a brand new car. And he got out. He was dressed in a great suit. My other friend, and we're all three believers, looked at him and said, wow, brother. He said, you are blessed. Now, I never forgot what he said. This was, wow, 30-some years ago, probably almost 40 years ago. He said, please don't look at my car and look at my clothes and determine I'm blessed. I'm blessed because of Jesus. I'm blessed regardless of what I drove up here in. I'm blessed regardless of what I'm wearing. I thought, wow, that is a biblical perspective. Now, we have blessings in this life, I get it, but we're blessed because of Jesus, not because of some thing that we have. Things are okay, things can be a blessing, but they don't determine whether we're blessed. You may have come in here today and say, I, I'm, I'm broke, I, my car barely made it, or maybe you hitchhiked the last two miles to get here, I don't know. But I still say this, do you love Jesus? Then you're blessed. You are the blessed of the Lord. Those things will change, Jesus never changes. So we look that Jesus is essential and you've probably heard the story of the prodigal son, what we call the, the story of the prodigal son in the Bible. And all, there's all kinds of cool lessons in that story. There's an interesting lesson when we look at the son, the prodigal son. The, remember, the dad apparently was pretty well-to-do. He had two sons. One was a rule keeper, and the other was a rebel. And um, they both had their set of problems. Seriously, if you read the story, neither, both of them need Jesus, okay? Because one's a self-righteous rule keeper, and the other is a rebel, well, the rebel says, Dad, I don't want to wait for you to die. I want my money now. Now, it's a parable, so a parable is a made-up story to teach us life lessons. We know it's a made-up story because when the, the rebel son said, I want my money now, Dad said, okay. We know that was a made-up story, okay? So Dad said, okay, and he gives him his inheritance, 
And the Bible says in King James lingo that he went to a faraway land because we, we want to get away from mom and dad and everybody we know because we're going to party. Do you know one of the translations say they're actually, uh, Satan has what is called a partying spirit? That it's actually in the New Testament, depends upon translations you read. And in the King James it says that he, he went to a faraway land where he squandered his money on riotous living. Riotous living is partying. And so he's partying. He's fulfilling his immoral desires, his fleshly desires, his partying desires, his drinking desires. He's fulfilling all of his fleshly carnal desires. And again, we often say, well, he wasn't having any fun. Yes, he was. I imagine if you talk to him the first 90 days of this new adventure, he would say, I am having so much fun. It's so much fun to be out underneath the rules of mom and dad. It's so much fun to have plenty of money to do what I want to do with it. It's fun to have no one tell me what to do. I get to do whatever I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, with whom I want to do it. And so he's having fun. The Bible says sin is fun for a season. Now, there's a difference between having fun and having life. In fact, just think about this. All of you, and if you've, if you've lived in the world and lived for your flesh for a season and come to the Lord, all of you have done something sinful that was fun, but it left you kind of broken. And, so, and also, everyone here has done things where you've gone somewhere to a party or a family event, and you left and said, that was so much fun, and it was totally wholesome, right? So it's possible to have fun without being in sin, because sin ultimately produces, guess what the Bible says, sin ultimately produces death. For the wages you'll earn by your sin, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, and the gift of God, guess what, brings joy and peace. Now, sin may be fun for a season, but it ultimately ends up in death. So the, the, you probably know the story of the prodigal son. When all of his money's gone, all of his fun's gone. And it's a story told to Jewish people. So Jesus, very specific in how he tells it, he says, this Jewish boy ends up feeding pigs. Now, it wasn't an accident they chose pigs because pigs were, a soup, they were totally unclean and disgusting to the Jewish people. So it wasn't a story about him shepherding sheep. It was feeding pigs. And he's feeding this slop to the pigs, and the prodigal says to himself that he longed to fill his belly with the pig food. So the whole story is to let you know there's no further down this Jewish boy can go. And he says, hold it. What am I doing? He comes to himself. He has a defining moment. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll go back and repent to my father. I'll tell him I'm not worthy to be a son. Just make me one of your hired hands. Why? Because he knew the hired hands of his father had it better off than he did feeding pigs. So what ends up happening is if we go after sin, sin may be fun for a weekend, for a month, for, I don't know, maybe for a decade, but it will leave you broken, it will leave you in the pig pen, and it will leave you, please listen to me, it will leave you with self-inflicted, unnecessary wounds, troubles, problems, regrets, pain, and brokenness that you should have never had to have dealt with, but now you have to deal with it. Now I'm going to tell you the sad news. Coming to Jesus... Sure is a great thing to do, but it doesn't immediately get rid of all the guilt, shame, brokenness, because the enemy's always trying to keep you broken. And if you want to be free from that, and you're here today, and you say, my, my, my life is marked often by guilt and regret and fear and, and condemnation, there is freedom in Christ. But now you, have, you, you got it tough, I'm just being honest with you. Had you avoided all that, you, you, you kind of could s- smoothly go along, but... If you've filled your life with all that, you now are going to have to be a tenacious, bulldog-focused, 
person to say, I refuse to live the rest of my life this way. I am going to get free. And let me tell you, it can happen. But you're going to have to be focused. It can happen, but you're going to have to say, I'm, I'm not going to accept anything less than God's goodness in my life. Nothing less. I'm not going to live my life in shame or guilt or fear or regret or brokenness. I'm going to be free. And if you'll get there, the scripture's true. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And Jesus actually came that you could have freedom. That's one of the reasons Jesus said he came, was to give freedom. So there is freedom. I just want to tell you, if you're here today and you're saying, I haven't dabbled in that, but I'm being tempted to go after my flesh and after sin and after all that, let me give you a heads up. Don't go there, and you'll save yourself a lot of heartache. You'll save yourself a lot of work. You'll save yourself a lot of time and just go after God, and you will have fun. I Seriously, I don't know anybody's had more fun than me. I've had a great, fun-filled life without having to get involved in a bunch of sin, and maybe it's good because I'm probably too lazy to really press in and get freedom, so thank God he protected me from getting in all that, but I'll trust that you're not too lazy. You will press in and you will be free. So we're going to talk about a biblical system for progress. You'll notice when you read Scripture, the New Testament, or the Old Testament, you'll notice that, that God really is not asking for perfection from us. He's asking for progress. Now, if you read the King James Bible, which I'm a fan of and love and cut my teeth on, it's a masterpiece, but it is written in 1600 English, so you may say, if you're a King James person, you may say, but I know verses in the Bible that talks about being perfect. The Old English word for perfect would be mature or complete. And so God's calling us into maturity, not into flawlessness. You're not going to get it flawless. Now, here's the good news. This is the cool thing about Jesus. We have a perfection that's in Christ, but not in our every thought or every action or every activity. It's not an excuse to live sloppy. I'm just telling you that God's asking us to grow. God's asking us to mature. God's asking us to make progress. So if you, you see the word perfect, it rarely means flawless. Sometimes it does if it refers to God, but it means to mature or to become complete. And so Jesus is after us growing. That's why when you look at the New Testament, you see all kinds of phrases like this. Hear the word and do the word. Put into practice. Uh, apply. You know, all kind of, make every effort. There's this effort in growth, not in getting saved. We don't earn our salvation. You and I will never be good enough in our own deeds that the God of all the universe, who is flawless in every respect, would look at us and go, oh my goodness, they are so perfect. I guess I must save them. No, we have salvation. That makes us perfect in Christ. The Bible says Jesus is our high priest, and he has made us perfect forever. He has made us perfect forever. And then we're in the process of being made holy in how we live. That's in Hebrews. So, we see it real clear in Peter. Remember Peter, Jesus's, one of Jesus' right-hand men? Peter is writing in 2 Peter, the first chapter, about our faith. And he says, I want you to add to your faith these virtues. And he lists seven virtues in there. And then he says, now, if you possess these qualities, these virtues, these attributes, in increasing measure. Did you hear that? Not if you have these to perfection, but if you have these in increasing measure, these virtues, these attributes, will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is a growth process. 
And he lists seven things there, you know, ones like goodness. You and I know this. There's never a place where we're going to say, I have arrived at goodness. I cannot be any gooder. I can't do it. I'm as good as I can get. I'm as godly as I can be. I'm as, you know, those virtues, we don't ever arrive at any of those things, but we're growing and maturing. But we can say, I am more good today than I was 10 years ago. I am more godly today than I was 10 years ago. I have more perseverance, more self-control, whatever godliness that's listed in those seven virtues. So it's a growth process, and so we're continually growing. In fact, most of your goals and most of your dreams in life, there is no end point to them. Now, there are to some, say you want to build a house. There is a day the last nail's driven, and you move in, and you start it, and you finish. But for the most part, most of what we want to do, do you want to be healthy? That's, a, that's probably the number one New Year's goal is to be healthy and be fit. There's no end to that. You don't get to say, I have now arrived. You can, you can arrive and think you've arrived, and you can quit, and you'll just go backwards. But you want to have healthy family relationships or friendships? That never ends. That's continually going. You want to continually grow in education? That never ends. You want to grow spiritually? That never ends. Most things in life are continual. But I do want to say this should be a continual and joyful process as we grow in God. And so Jesus talks about, gives us some pointers as he's actually challenging us to be fully devoted disciples of himself. The story is found in Luke 14. So you can read that later, but Luke 14. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, listen to this, this is important. If you want to be my disciple, count the cost. What what do you mean? I thought I'd just raise my hand when the pastor prays at the end, and I'd go live however I want, and all would be well. That's not the story Jesus tells. Jesus says, how about this for being a disciple? You need to love me more than anybody else. Mother, brother, sister, spouse, more than anyone else. Wow, okay. You want to be my disciple? You need to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Ooh, I didn't know about that. There were times that Jesus would preach on topics that were hard, and the Bible says they left him in crowds. They didn't come to him in crowds, they left him in crowds. And at one point he challenged them, he said, you guys are here in big number, not because of what I'm teaching you, but because on the other side of the lake, you filled your belly with some fish and chips from a miracle I did. And so you're here for another meal. And so he would teach something, and they'd go, okay, I not think I'm interested in this. Well, the cool thing about Jesus is, is he's the giver of life. When we think about, well, why would Jesus say that? Is he an egomaniac? Is he, is he got a bad self-image? Is, is he upset if I love someone else? He doesn't say you can't love other people and that you shouldn't love them immensely, but you love him first. I truly believe, the more I know Jesus, the more I study his word, the more I believe this, every time I see something in Scripture, it's for our good. Jesus isn't going to be any more or less if we reject him or receive him, but he knows this. As the giver of life, if he becomes our first priority, everything else rises to a whole new level. It's interesting. Everything rises. He says this, you can try to save your life, but if you do, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and the Gospels, you will find it. Isn't that interesting? So I believe Jesus says this, if you'll love me more than your spouse, you'll love your spouse more than you ever would have any other way. If you love me more than you love your children, then I believe you'll love your children more than you ever would have in any method you would have picked other than putting me first. 
Because you think about what Jesus teaches us, how to live sacrificially and servanthood and all this, it has to bring everything else up to a whole new level. So in this, he says, but think about this. So we're going to get a couple pointers from Jesus in the story. He says, who of you who wants to build a tower? But just show of hands, is anybody here thinking, that has been my life goal, to build a tower? Okay, nobody. So I think Jesus would be okay. I know there's somebody going to say, don't add to or take away from the word of God. It's, it's a story, and I'm sure Jesus would, would accept this. Probably most of us here have wanted to have a home, and maybe some of you wanted to build a home. So maybe that'll help you connect. So who of you who wants to build a home doesn't first, don't you first count the cost? Don't you say, here's what I want to build, and you start getting quotes on it? And then you either say, this is great, we can do it, or we better scale back a little bit. And then we better watch out for this, and we better watch out for that. If you want to build a home, there's nothing wrong with that, but you count the cost. You see, can I get it built? Because Jesus said, if you don't count the cost, you start the process and you run out of steam in the middle. And then that half-finished house mocks you every day and is a testimony to your horrible planning for all the community to see. That's what Jesus said. He says, what king, if he goes to war and he has 10,000 soldiers and there's an invading army of 20,000 soldiers, what king doesn't ask himself, can I win? Can my 10,000 soldiers beat those 20,000 soldiers? And if he says they can't, then he, while the army's a long way away, he sends a peace delegation to broker peace. He says, you've you got to think here. You've got to see, do I have the resource? Now, there's a couple things that we learn from this. Two key ideas is, one, is should our dream become a goal? Who doesn't dream of all kinds of things? I mean, who... You know, we can say, I, w- I want to play five instruments. I want to speak six languages. I want to be physically fit. I want to build a house. I want to, you know, the list can go on and on and on. There, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those, but you have to say to yourself, do I have what it takes? Should that, should that dream actually move its way to a goal? Because, and if you think, well, I don't have the time, the energy, the true motivation the money or the plan to make it happen, then it probably should not move, not probably, it should not move to your goal category. It's just wishful thinking. And so we learn what should become a goal. What, what do I have the time, the energy, the motivation, the emotion, the money, the plan to bring it through to completion? And if you say, I'm probably not going to do this, then think up something else. Ask God, what can I do that becomes more goal-oriented and not just a wishful thinking? Because we don't tend to finish things that we just wish we could do, but things that actually begin to drive us and pursue us. Now, the second thing we see from this is I believe Jesus is saying you need a system. You need a system. Because a king is going to go to battle. If he decides that he believes his 10,000 can beat the 20,000, guess what? He's going to have a plan. He's going to have a system. The general doesn't come out to his 10,000 soldiers and give him a pep talk and say, I just want you to know there's an invading army of 20,000. We're outnumbered two to one. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to go out swinging, man, and hope that we win. You go, really? That's the plan? You would hope there's some kind of strategy to this. What's our strategy? We, we, we're outnumbered two to one. How are we going to win? So you need some kind of system. You need to know what you need to know to accomplish what you want to accomplish. And I said this last week, but I wanted to repeat it. A system 
is superior to a goal. A goal can just be a lot of hot air, but a system actually gives some teeth to it. And it doesn't have to be complex, but you should have a system. Maybe you said to yourself, I don't pray very much, but I want to begin to pray. This could be a simple little system. I'm going to work out when my feet hit the floor in the morning, just to take my first 60 seconds to spend some time with God. I think anybody could do that, and that could grow from there. But that's just a simple little system. It doesn't have to be complex. Now, some of you, some of you here, um, okay, raise your hand high if you are an engineer. Raise it high. Okay. You guys want, like, super systems, don't you? You want, I mean, I, this, okay, we're going to make this happen. And it takes more work to do the system than it does to actually do the task because that's kind of the way you're wired up. I mean, I don't know if you guys are really engineers because most of me have a, a sleeve here with like 16 different pencils or pins in it, you know. So, oh, you have one of those? Okay, so you can, you know, you can always make things happen. So nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being an engineer or being very systematic, but everything doesn't have to be complex. It could be something simple. So create simple systems when you can. Uh, I, I stole this from somebody who's known to be fairly wise. He supposedly said this. It was um, um, the relativity guy. Help me out here. I just went blank on his name. Uh, Albert Einstein, yes. We weren't close, so I couldn't remember his name. But Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein says, this stuck with me. And I apply it to all kinds of things in life. Albert Einstein said, supposedly, I'm sure he gets quoted for saying all kinds of things, but supposedly he said this. Everything should be as simple as possible, but no simpler. I thought, wow, that's actually brilliant. So if something requires four steps, it doesn't need nine. But it can't work with three. You see what I'm saying? And I've applied that to lots of things in my life. That this should be as simple as possible, but no simpler. And so don't make things complex if they can be simple. If you can figure out how to do it in one step, do it in one step. You don't need nine. So I'm going to share with you some things I've discovered through my own successes and failures as you think through a growth plan for you this year. Now, I want you to primarily think about spiritual things. I have no problem with you building a house, getting a promotion at work, you know, taking care of your retirement plan better, you know, getting physically fit. Now, I have no problem with all that. What we'll learn today can apply to those things. But we're here today because we love Jesus. And we're saying, how can we grow in the things of God? You know, if you go to a gym, they may have a teaching on how, about physical fitness. At work, there may be a program on how to be more productive at work. That's all cool. I'm fine with that. But let's make sure we're focusing on spiritual things here. The first thing, this is one of my problems, and uh, I, have to, I have to fight this. I have to be aware of it. The first one that's a growth crusher is trying to do too much in too short a time. You want to do too much in too short a time. That's, I, I'm guilty of that. If I need to lose 20 pounds, let's do it by Wednesday. You know, that's just kind of the way I'm wired. Who wants to take a whole year to get that done? Let's do it by Wednesday. Now, the truth is you don't get done by Wednesday. So five years later, you're still saying, let's get it done by Wednesday. And if you would have just started at it, you'd been long done with it. So trying to do too much in too little period of time. The other thing is trying to do too little in a great big long period of time. You know, you don't need to lose three pounds and take seven years to do it. You know, that's... Too little and too much. I don't even know who to give credit to. I read it or heard it years and years ago, but it's true. People overestimate what they can do in a year, 
and they underestimate what they can do in five years. I think it's very, very true. So don't overestimate what you can do in one, but don't underestimate what you can do in five. So set realistic goals with realistic timelines. I don't mind the goals push you, but they, they need to be, if they're just not achievable, you're just going to waste your time and you're going to spin out and try again and again and again. The third one is another one of my problems. It's the all or nothing mentality. You say, well, what's that? It works like this. Since probably actually one of the number one goals is health and physical fitness and eating right, weight loss, stuff like that, this all makes sense. You say on January 1, I'm going to lose weight. So you do really well in your eating on January 1, January 2, and January 3. And January 4, you eat everything that's in the county. And so you have eaten it all, and you say to yourself, well, forget it now. I might as well eat whatever I want, because there's always next year. No, we've got a whole lot of year left this year. But it's that all-or-nothing mentality. If I can't do it all, you look at the garage, and it's a mess. You say, well, if I can't clean it up perfectly, I'm not going to do anything. Well, do a little something. Do, do something. And if you fall off the wagon in whatever you're doing, Bible reading, prayer, exercise, just get back up. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs, a righteous man falls seven times, but rises again. So we all fail, we all fall, you just get back up and go on. <clears throat> There's a, trying to do too much in too short a period of time, and an all or nothing mentality. Sean and I, years ago, he's about 10 years old, I actually found the, the Bible. We got one of these read-through Bible plans. And um, it's a one-year Bible where it lays out, you know, your reading for the day. Now these, if you're not careful, are designed to make you feel like a slug. Because what happens is, there's a fair amount of reading in a day, but not over, it's not overburdensome. But you read day one, day two, day three, and then you miss four, and then you read five and six, you miss seven, eight, nine, then you read 10 and 11, and then you find out, I'm 67 chapters behind. And you think, I, I can't catch up. And so you just quit, and you try next year, and then you try next year, and try next year. Well, I knew that was my problem years ago, so... When Sean was about 10, I thought, okay, first of all, we're not even going to worry whether we make it through in a year or not, because it may be too much for us to do in too little time. And the second thing is I'm not going to have the all or nothing mentality that if I get behind. So I actually bought this. It's barked in there. I bought it in October because I thought it would give us a head start, you know, on the year. And it did. It did. And it actually took us two and a half years to read through the one-year Bible. Now, that may not sound too good, but I can tell you, if I would have stayed with my normal plan, Sean and I would still be trying to read through the Bible, because I would have chucked it, and we would have tried again on January 1st the next year, and I would have chucked it, and we would have tried again on January 1st, but we just kept at it. We said, let's just keep at it, and in about two and a half years, we made it through the entire Bible. So it's one way you can kind of get a heads up on yourself. What are some of my weaknesses here? The fourth thing is having an assistant that works against you. If you come to me and say, hey, I'm going to get in shape, I say, great. I'm going to start running. I say, cool. I didn't know you liked running. I hate running. Oh, hate's too soft of a word. I despise running. I'm going to tell you, not that it would be totally impossible, but it's stacked up against you. If you hate running, don't pick running as your exercise. Pick something else. Pick tiddlywinks or something. I don't know, something that you can... You say, I can stick to this. That's probably not real good exercise. You could pick something 
that would be more conducive to how you're wired up. Now, you come to me and say, I'm going to lose weight. Okay, let's say I know you real well. This, this would be me. If I told you I was going to lose weight, and you said, what are you going to do? And I'd say, I'm going to do Atkins. You would say, your primary food group is carbohydrates. I mean, that's the, you believe that the moon's not made out of cheese, it's made out of carbohydrates. You love carbohydrates. You love pasta, you love breads, you love sugars. Well, it's probably not going to be a great plan. Again, I'm not saying it can't be done, but I'm going to say if you're wired up that pastas, breads, desserts are your primary food groups, then Atkins isn't a real great program for you. Now, I'm not saying you should indulge in all the carbohydrates, pastas, and, and breads and sugars that you want, but I am saying that plan will probably work against you. Does that make sense? So there are a lot of healthy eating plans out there that would be better suited towards you than picking one that deprives you of the things that you love so deeply. Now, how about this one? We talk about this one with regularity. Man, I heard this intercessor, and they did a teaching, and they get up at 5 every morning and pray to 6, and they talk about all the benefits. And first of all, that would be awesome. But as I mentioned when I used this illustration before, if you're not a morning person, and you've never prayed 10 minutes in a row, and you're the type of person, and I won't ask for a show of hands, but if you're the type of person that says, I set my alarm at the last possible second to barely get there on time, and I still hit snooze twice, then you're probably not going to get up an hour early and pray. I would say, try, maybe you got that weird 15 minutes when you come back from lunch, from work, and you don't know what to do. Uh, Take 10 minutes of that and pray. Start there. Start something that is a system. Don't develop a system that works against you. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't do stuff that's hard, you can retrain yourself, but when you start... Do something you can build upon, not something that within a week crushes you and you quit and you move on to something else. Start somewhere and let it grow. Now, New Year's emphasis for growth, I want us to focus on spiritual growth. Now, why do I want us to focus on spiritual growth? Because according to Scripture, everything originates out of your spiritual life. That's what the Bible says. We got it right there on the screen. Proverbs 4, 23. Above all else, guard your heart. Now, I want you to know that when the Bible talks about the heart, rarely, maybe never, is it ever talking about the muscle in your chest that pumps blood. It's talking about your spirit. You are an eternal spirit. That's what it's talking about, your spiritual life, your spiritual condition. Above everything else, guard your heart for, what's the next word? For everything, everything, for everything you do, flows from it. Everything you do flows out of your spiritual life. And that's the revelation I got a few years ago from reading something. Again, I read so much, I don't know who who it is that I read. I try to credit people if I can think of it. There is an old saying for this, truly. It says, if you use somebody else's material, you should credit them. The second time you use it, you should say, I have heard. And the third time you use it, you should say, I've always said, and so that's, that's the pattern. So I've always said, uh, everything originates from your spirit, man. And here's the thing that I read or heard somebody talk about, and it really hit me, and it's, it's true, so I want you to absorb this. You are not a physical being having spiritual experiences. I know you've heard me say this before, but I want to lock it in our mind because it goes along with this verse. You are a spiritual being 
having physical experiences. Your spirit, man, is going to live forever. You are an eternal being. We, we are going to lay this flesh and blood aside one day. Now, God's going to raise it up and make it a glorified body. My belief is we're going to wrap right back around to where he began. Remember, he, there was a, a man and a woman who had a spiritual body. And they were spiritual beings. And they lived on this planet. And God's going to wrap all that back up. And I believe that's whatever Adam and Eve's body's like. It's just my opinion. You don't have to... I don't know if that's true or not. It doesn't really matter. It's just my opinion that I believe we're probably going to have the same body that Adam and Eve had. That's just my guess. But we are going to have a body. But our spirit man, our spirit person lives forever. So this year, I really want to challenge you. Above all else, guard your heart. Don't, I, don't, I don't mind if you have all kinds of goals. Because remember, Jesus said, seek ye first. He didn't say, seek ye only. So I don't mind if you've got physical fitness goals and, and uh, health goals and, and promotion at work goals and want to build a new house goal, and I want to do all that. That doesn't bother me. I don't believe it bothers God at all either. But seek first the kingdom of God. See, what, what is there? And I want to encourage you, just begin to ask the Holy Spirit, what, what should I focus on this year? And there's so many plates you could spin. You know the guy at the circus that's spinning those plates and trying to keep them all going? There's so many plates you could spin that you could overwhelm yourself. So I believe we should ask the Lord, what do you think I should focus on this year? And he may say prayer or or scripture. He may say generosity or kindness. He may say, work on these, these bad habits that have been trailing you year after year. I can help you with that. You need to ask the Lord, and he'll, I believe he'll give you insight of what to focus on. And I don't believe he'll give you 19 things to focus on. I believe he'll give you one or maybe two, and you'll focus on those, and the Holy Spirit will help you move forward to victory. So take all this information and know that the Holy Spirit's power, his presence, he's called alongside to help us. The Greek word calls the Holy Spirit a paraclete. Paraclete means one called alongside to help, a helper. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to give you someone like me. And we know Jesus came along with disciples to help them. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. So let's pray.